Joshua is going to lead us in Redeemed number 336, uh, one of our uh, favorite versions, I guess, or arrangements of Redeemed. 336, we'll sing verses 1 and 2, and then I plan to, at the end of our Sunday school hour, keep it out or get it out again and sing, excuse me, verse 3. 336 to redeem. Joshua, lead us in verses 1 and 2, please. can't sing that we need to talk <laughs> well welcome everybody to Sunday school several are out with various physical issues of course we'll be praying in a few minutes for many of them as we get into our Sunday school lesson today I hope you have anthropology the study of man page four and the date should read February 25th 2024 if you don't have that Please raise your hand. Okay, good. <clears throat> as far as review goes, thank you, Sean, for teaching last week. Some of what our review will be is related to what you taught. But we'll go back two weeks. The image of God in man, the imago dei, is not a what likeness. And I say not. What's that? It's not a physical likeness. God doesn't have two arms, two legs, and, a, and all of that like we do. So that's not what it is. This image is understood in the communicable what of God? Anyone remember? Attributes. Attributes, that's right. God is absolutely loving, and we, he has shared that with us. We can love others, too. And we find much of that in the first epistle by John, First John chapters 3, 4, and 5. Yes, there are many attributes that God has shared with us, mercy and grace and long-suffering. We can also express those attributes so that we understand the image of God and man in that sense. What is the word that describes man as 
two parts, material and non-material. It's a big word, and if you have your notes from some other time, it might help. I, I say, use your resources. <laughs> One out of, I could see, I read your lips, pretty girl. Dichotomy. Dichotomy. Describes man as two parts, material and non-material. What word describes man as made up of three parts? Trichotomy, that's right. That wasn't hard. Use your resources. <laughs> By the way, have you folks thought more about the three theories that I presented which give differing explanations of how a newly conceived baby gets his soul? I see a nod over there. What have you thought about that? Or do you want to share any of that, Denise? The three views are the pre-existence theory, where there's a pool of souls in the presence of God in heaven or whatever, someplace. That's the pre-existence theory. The creation theory is at the moment of conception, God creates a new soul. And the third one is yeah, the tradition theory which says that God created in Adam and Eve the ability to pass a soul on to their offspring. Those offspring, God, of course, superintended it all, pass on a soul to the offspring that they have, and so on, all the way to you and me. Okay, those are the three main views. That is a major part of what we're talking about, and it's an anthropological discussion. It is important. How do we get sin? I would say both the first and second views present a problem that way. God can't create a soul that's a sinful soul. Okay. And as Alan mentioned, and maybe some of you have read it enough you haven't memorized, the iniquities of the fathers will be visited upon the children and the children's children under the third and fourth generations of them that hate God. So, it appears that the father's responsible there because it doesn't say parents. This really goes a long way. We could end up spending the whole hour on this easily. You're quoting Romans 5 verse 12. Very good. Thank you. Okay. We're talking about redemption today and this, this is connected. Okay. You're right. I've asked a medical doctor to explain how the cardiovascular system mixes or whatever once a human egg is fertilized and an embryo begins. And the blood system is from the male part. It's not from her. It's from the male part. In fact, we think of the umbilical cord that way, but it only provides nutrition and oxygen, not blood. It's interesting, and we can't build a doctrine on that, but Jesus Christ was sinless many places. You know, Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, without sin. Okay, how did that happen? Well, he didn't have a human father. So technically, traditionism, if you will, if you take hold that theory, the tradition theory, it explains to us that, yes, 
it's really up, not just the parents, but the father that passes on the soul. The father's part of all of this, passes on the soul to each next, the next generation. And therefore, because all of us as human beings have had a sinful human father, we are also sinners, and our soul is in need of redemption. So it is an interesting study. If you want to carry it further, you can. Any other thoughts on that? Jesus Christ is the one exception to what we're talking about. The one exception. He didn't have a human father. We could ask the question, do animals have souls? I don't want to get into that. (laughs) But that came up the other day when I was out ice fishing with Joe Levy. And the Bible is not very clear on that at all, okay? I'll just leave it at that. Okay, on your handouts, let's go to the second paragraph under review. Last week, Sean taught about the fall of man. The study is, and it should be, is an overlap. There's cross out the D if you want, of anthropology and hamartiology. Those who hold to evolutionary theory deny the whole concept of the fall and sin. Did you know that? They don't even, they don't care. If, if we are survival of the fittest, that means then what our developing evolutionary progress, they say, determines morality. Okay, let me ask the question. What are some obvious problems with their denial of the fall of man and sin. What are some obvious problems with that? Who determines? Can't you? Isn't your can't you follow your heart? <laughs> Desperately wicked. It's it's a flawed method for determining morality. In our day and age with the group we have here today, we're seeing things that our grandparents would have not seen nor tolerated probably in the realm of human sexuality. And it is being presented by a large percentage of Americans and Europeans and others as something that is good to have deviant sexual lifestyles. However, they don't talk about HIV and AIDS and STDs and things like that, do they? They don't. Is is this evolving concept of human sexuality a problem with the evolutionary theory? Yes, it is. One had had a doctor in Illinois. We enjoyed him. She talked with him a lot about things like this. He had a niece who had a live-in boyfriend, and he asked Juanetta what she thought about that. And she asked him, what do you think about it? And he said, well, it bothers me a lot. And she asked him, why does it bother you? And he said, well, it's just wrong. It can be harmful for her. And she said, then you love her, don't you? And he said, yes, I do. What do you base your... He said, I thought you would agree with me. And she said, I do, but what do you base your 
concept of that being wrong upon? What, where do you get your morality? And he didn't have an answer for that. He asked her, where do you get your concept of right and wrong? And she said, well, God has told us in the Bible. God is the one who determines morality. Do you want to add anything to that one, Etta? It was a good discussion with It is to us elementary that the concept of right and wrong comes from God. If we're, if we're left up to our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own hearts or whatever, we'll get it wrong. And he has instilled in us a moral compass, but it's still flawed by sin. So we need redemption, and that's what, where we need to go. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve felt guilt, verses 7 through 10. They hid from God. They covered themselves, and so on. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the serpent was cursed in verse 14. That's on your handouts, by the way. Okay, that's a creature that was cursed, but Satan was the one who indwelt that creature at that time. And Satan, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, Satan was condemned as an enemy, verse 15, and future judgment for that. So the fourth bullet is Adam and Eve were judged by God. Uh, they would both have a more, much more difficult life from Eve and childbirth and desiring the authority that her husband was given by God and so on and Adam having to work, you know, provide for them every day by the sweat of his brow. That was a judgment by God for their sin. And then Adam and Eve needed atonement. Verse 21, God made a covering for them out of animal skins, didn't he? That is the meaning of atonement in the Old Testament is a covering for sin. And then the next bullet is, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, all descendants of Adam are sinners and death entered the world. Romans 5, verse 12. For by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. There was not death before that, there was not sin, but all do now, and it's passed on by Adam, and that goes back to our discussion about the three theories of how we get a soul. And then the last bullet is the ground was cursed in verses 17 through 19, and we see that in Romans 8, don't we? That the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth until now because of the fall or the sin of Adam and Eve. So, much was lost, wasn't it? And that's just a quick summary of what Sean covered last week. Much was lost. God's righteous demands, I'm sorry, his righteousness demands that sin must be punished. Throughout the Bible there is that. That is why the Old Testament sacrificial system was put in place. There had, something had to be punished, and it was done by faith. That soteriology will cover more of that. But there are two questions I want to ask. Does the Lord's justice upon evil and sin, when he judges it, right now he's being long-suffering in so many ways, but when he does judge sin, does that mean he's not loving? I see some nods, no. People argue that way. 
that God can't be bring judgment and damnation and the lake of fire, people, souls being cast into the lake of fire. That's not loving, right? Or is it? They don't have trouble with Saddam Hussein, but they do with Matt Trepfer if I faced eternal punishment for my sin. Okay. Well, I shouldn't have used myself because I'm not necessarily a good person. I could pick someone else. Okay. I think a really important question related to that is, what if sin went unchecked? What if? What would happen, you guys? Is that loving? Would we be here? Would we be able to smile? <clears throat> no, okay. It's not loving to leave sin unchecked. I'm glad that God, I saw you, Wesley, I'm glad that God does interact in our world. <clears throat> if he did not restrain sin, we, we, we would have killed ourselves off long ago or whatever. This world is much better because God does interact and God does bring consequence for sin. That's where we're headed with the redemption of man, isn't it? Yeah. In his love for us, that's what I put on your notes. Did you see that? Precisely because of his immeasurable or immeasurable love, he has provided a solution. He's provided a solution. Romans 5.8, somebody quote that. But God commendeth his love he provided a solution to all of this number four then in the middle of the page I know that was an important it was a review but I considered it important as I prepared this lesson today <clears throat> it's okay let's go on the, the fourth point of our outline for anthropology we had the origin of man then we had the uh, <clears throat> uh, just a moment. The composition of man, how what man's made up of, and then of course last week the fall of man. Today the redemption of man. The meaning of redemption. You can put purchase in the blank. Okay. This is interesting. I think I'll read the nineteen. 81 edition of Webster first, and then I'll go back 100 plus years to 1828, and you'll see the way society is headed, kind of. Anyway, <clears throat> to purchase back is the basic meaning of redemption, to purchase back. Here is what the 1981 Webster's College Edition Dictionary, says, to buy or pay off or clear by payment as to redeem a mortgage, to buy back, to recover as something pledged or mortgaged by payment or other satisfaction. Okay? There is more to it than that, but it goes on a little further and says from captivity to our bondage, by rescue, theologically, to deliver from sin and its consequences by means of a sacrifice offered for the sinner. That's the 1981 college edition of Webster's. It's not nearly as wonderful, if you will, or biblical, I'm sorry, biblical, as the 1828 edition, which says this. <clears throat> okay. Okay. 
I'm not going to take time to read all of them. It is nearly half of a page. I'll start with the word redeem, to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage, or from any obligation or liability to suffer or to be forfeited by paying an equivalent as to redeem prisoners or captured goods, to redeem a pledge. And the second one is to repurchase that has, or what has been sold, to regain possession of a thing alienated by repaying the value of it to the possessor. <clears throat> Leviticus 25 is mentioned there. In If a man shall sell a dwelling house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. That's in Webster's 1828. So you get the idea to rescue, to recover, to deliver from. And if I go further down in theology, to rescue and deliver from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law by obedience and suffering in the place of of the sinner, or by doing and suffering that which is accepted in lieu of the sinner's obedience. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3. So that is a snippet of the word redeem. How about redemption? Repurchase of captured goods or prisoners. The act of procuring the deliverance of persons or things from possession and power of captors by the payment of an equivalent, ransom. Okay, ransom and release as the redemption of prisoners taken in war, the redemption of a ship and cargo and so on, Um, the deliverance from bondage, distress, or from liability to any evil or forfeiture either by money, labor, or other means, Um, And then, of course, it does in theology, the purchase of God's favor by the death and sufferings of Christ, the ransom of deliverance of sinners from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated law by the atonement of Christ. So you can see that in 150 years or so, it softened a lot in its meaning. So the basic idea I gave you just now. The Old Testament concept, the Hebrew word ga'al, or some say goel, but the Hebrew word ga'al includes next of kin, an avenger, deliverer, to pay ransom. That's what the word means. Exodus 6.6 6 is the first place I... I think it's the first place it's used. No, I'm sorry. There was one other place in the, uh, Genesis chapter 48. Anyway, I chose Exodus 6.6 6 as an example in the days of Moses when he went before Pharaoh and let my people go. You know that account. Exodus 6 verse 6 says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you, that's Gaal, with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Did God do that? He did. 
Okay? Leviticus chapter 25 is something that, for the sake of time, I'll let you just look those up. It has to do with um, those who can redeem need to be next of kin or near kin, those who are able to do it. In other words, they, they want to do it, they have the ability to do it, and they do do it. Okay? That's the idea of redemption. When someone owes a debt, someone else in the family can pay that debt if they want to, if they have the means, and if they do it. Which brings us, of course, in my mind, to Jesus Christ. He wants to. He has the ability to redeem us, and he did it. Anyway, let's go to Ruth and Boaz. 21 times in that account or that story of Ruth meeting Boaz, the word Gaal Gaal is mentioned 21 times in that book. Just basically in the last chapter, Ruth chapter 4, it's translated kinsman and it's translated redeem. Look at those verses that I cited, Ruth chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Someone please read those. I'd like to keep my voice as much as I can. Ruth 4, 4 through 8. Thank you very much, Diane. The near <laughs> I am sorry, that was a brain glitch, but I I tease that way too often, don't I? And there it comes out. Denise. Yeah, I was trying to think. In the old King James, kinsman is what is translated near relative. It's Gaal. And what a beautiful picture of the meaning of the word redemption. In the Old Testament, of course, Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth and the land, but it was Ruth. He had the means to, and he did it. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful account. Job 19, verse 25, Job looked forward to a future redemption, didn't he? You know what he said? I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. Job knew that there was a future redemption for his lost soul, for his sinful soul. Go to Psalm 19, verse 14, and then we'll head to the New Testament concept. Psalm 19, verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The New Testament concept, the Greek word is apolutrosis, if you want to pronounce it correctly, apolutrosis means to pay the ransom in full, bringing deliverance. That's what it means, to pay the ransom in full. Letter B, to purchase out of the marketplace as a slave and setting one free. Not only is it purchasing a lost soul, but setting it free. Jesus Christ said that if we believe in him, we shall be free indeed, definitely. John chapter 8. I don't remember the actual verse. Letter C, theologically it means the process by which sinful humans are 
bought back from the bondage and punishment for sin into a relationship with God through grace by the payment of Jesus' shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection. That is the meaning in the New Testament. Jesus came to redeem all of fallen creation and pay the price for human sin, Matthew 20, 28. Go there, please. And I'm looking at the clock. Okay, I think we'll be okay. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Bible says it this way. Jesus said it this way. Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That is part of the definition of the Greek word redemption, ransom. Go to Luke, three, Luke 2, verse 38. Anna in the temple when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus into the temple to go through that part of the uh, process. Okay, Luke 2, verse 38. Anna said, when she came in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She recognized that the Jesus Christ that little child would bring redemption to the lost souls in Jerusalem. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, that was the Old Testament means of covering or whatever, and atonement, but by his own blood. That's the, okay, verse 11 says, but Christ Okay, become the high priest for us. Anyway, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's the New Testament concept in a nutshell. Letter B, the appropriation of redemption. The word that goes in the blank is faith. You would have figured that out. I know you would have. Faith in Christ brings personal and eternal redemption. Let's just choose 1 Peter 1. You can look up Romans 3, verses 22 through 24. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you, anyway, Ephesians 1 speaks of it. Colossians 1 does as well. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. And then we will wrap up with that. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1. Everybody go there. Verses 18 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, we can't buy it ourselves. No, no one's wealthy enough to buy it. No one's good enough to buy it. So it's not, we were not redeemed that way. Verse 19 says, but with what? Everybody say it. That's right. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And we talked about that in this. Jesus was sinless. Okay? Verse 20 says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This was in God's plan 
in eternity past, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus Christ came into the world, made of a woman, made under the law, in a special, specific time, Galatians 4.4. 4. Verse 21, who by him to deliver, or, I'm sorry, who by him do believe, so that's our word faith, believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. That is how the redemption of man works, Old Testament, New Testament, and the appropriation of it is by faith. If you believe, then you're saved eternally. You're redeemed back. You're bought back from the slave market of sin by Jesus Christ's shed blood, and he sets you free. Not free to sin, but free from that. Praise the Lord for that. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for who you are, that you are the one who, even though mankind has long ago turned against you and sinned, and each of us in this room have done so as well, you've provided a solution to that in your love for us in the redemption offered through us through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could ever pay that price and buy us back from the consequence, the eternal and the, and the daily consequence of sin. Oh, Heavenly Father, I also thank you that you've set us free from that. It's no longer controlling us as it once was. Father God, I ask you that we would live in light of the redemption you have given us for your honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.